to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. And I want to speak really a word for fathers, but I believe it's also a word for all of us. This morning, I want to speak on the subject, Fathers Who Know God. Fathers who know God. I believe most of the men, if not all of the men, would, would one day become fathers. I mean, some of us would be spiritual fathers, some of us natural fathers, some of us both natural fathers, spiritual fathers. Uh, I want to honor my dad this morning because, you know, he kept saying, you know, I, did, I didn't know how to parent you guys. He's going through parent for, for life and God's convicting his heart, you know. But I, I want to say that my dad has done, done a great job. Amen. In parenting, Jason and, and, and myself, and we turned out well. <laughs> I know, and, and, I, and myself, I'm trying my best to parent my kids, and I believe they will turn out well. Amen. And um, so praise God for that. I've got a few friends here. I've got Jerry and Sue who are from the U.S. I've known them for over 10 years now before the church even started. And honestly, I got a vision of what fathering looks like from Jerry. And so it's so special. I remember him showing us his uh, bus. Now, he bought a coach and he tore, it, 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 he tore that apart. And he built the bus together with, with, with his two sons as a, as a homeschool project for three years. And he was proudly showing off the, the different detail of the bus. And, you know, and I saw what fathering looks like. You know, I fall short from that. I, I, I can't build a bus from scratch you know, uh, with my son. But Jerry and Sue, amazing, brilliant. And uh, Nikki is here as well. And Nikki is a dear friend of mine for a long time now. Knew us since Titus was one year old. And he actually prophesied about this, this church. He did. Even before we were a church, he, he gave me and Joy prophetic words. He was telling us you know, different things that God would do in our lives and through our lives. And so this church really is a fruit of the prophetic word that, that, that he gave at least 15 years ago, right? Re- remember? So, Nikki, we honor you. And, uh, we all, and we will all become fathers. Nikki is single, very available. But he is a father to many in the spirit. He comes to, to Singapore and you can't get a meal with, with him as much as I'm a good friend. I can't book him for a meal because people want to talk to him about spiritual issues. He's a spiritual dad to many, even to those who are older than he is. Those in their 50s look up to Nikki, who's 37, as a spiritual dad in the Lord. And so we all can become fathers. I mean, we are all called to be fathers. The Bible tells us that, that, that there are many instructors, but they are what? Very few fathers. The church must be built on fathers, on leaders with a fathering heart, not not with a controlling heart, not with a heart to lord over people, but fathers who are willing to release those who will come after them to excel and to even do better than themselves. That's the heart of the father. Whether you are a believer, you're a non-believer, all fathers want their children to excel and to go further and to do better than they are. Amen? Come on, father, say amen. That's true. That's generic around the world. If you don't have that heart, then you need to grow uh, in the heart of a father. So I want us to dive into one verse. We'll spend the rest of this message on Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. We'll unpack these verses and I want to speak again on fathers 
who know God. Fathers who know God. Let's read, first of all, verse 23. The Bible says, this is what the Lord says. Or thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast about, uh, of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. Let not the wise boast about his wisdom, the strong boast about his strength, the rich boast about their riches. Now, this is an interesting verse because these are very unnatural words. Most of us as fathers or as people by nature boast in these things. We show off our certificate, our diploma, our degree, and, we, and if you've got a PhD, I'm quite sure somewhere in your house, it's on the wall. Right? You want to show off your learning and that's fine. I mean, it's okay to be learned. Amen. But the Bible says don't boast in your own wisdom. There are all kinds of thought leaders. Uh, the bookstores are filled with uh, books and there are millions of books out there. And a lot of us in our pursuit of knowledge, we pride ourselves in how much we know. But yet the Bible says don't boast in these things. Don't boast in how much wisdom you have. Amen. And the Bible says don't boast also in your strength and your riches. But let those who boast, the next part of the verse says, boast in this that they know me. I want to just lay this foundation in this church and that is, fathers, the greatest legacy you can leave for your children is not how wise you are, it's not how strong you are, it's not how rich you are, it's not a bank account, it's not trophies on the shelf, it's not the degrees that you can, uh, the certificates that they will have growing up, they've gone through this class, that course, they can do ballet, they can play the piano. Now, these are all great stuff, but the greatest legacy you, you can leave behind for your children is the legacy of your faith. Uh, amen. It's the knowledge of God that uh, you will pass on from generation to generation. Somebody say, amen. amen. That's the greatest legacy. The Bible says that a good father leaves behind inheritance. I believe that speaks of wealth, but I believe that also speaks of the inheritance of your faith. And that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says that, that as parents, we have got to teach the next generation the ways of God, the commandments of God, not just wise ideas, smart, uh, intelligent concepts or how to make money, but how do you know God? To be founded on the ways of God, to found a family on God's ways. See, wisdom is very interesting. Solomon, through wisdom, searched everything under the sun and his conclusion, after having done this search, he spent his whole life and he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all meaningless. He was trying to understand the world, how it works, creation, inventions. He was trying to learn as much as possible. At the end of the day, he says, meaningless. He says, the conclusion of the matter is what? Come on. To fear God and keep His commandments. And he wrote, the wisdom of God is to fear the Lord. So wisdom... It's meaningless if it's apart from the knowledge of God. Samson, strong man. The Bible says he's, he's a man of great strength. When the Holy Spirit comes, comes upon him, he would become a different person. He's like Hulk, but better looking. When the Spirit of God comes upon him, he would, you know, the muscles would come out. He's one of the first uh, Avengers. 
I mean, superpower. He just becomes a different person. He can lift off iron. He, you know, he 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 broke the neck of uh, of different things. <laughs> and, I mean, he's strong, and yet he fell to the wishes and the wiles of Delilah. Strength is limited apart from the knowledge of God. What about Goliath, who was a champion, who was 10 feet tall, who put fear into the hearts of uh, Israel. He was a champion of the Philistines. And yet, a little David, with a slingshot anointed by God, threw the slingshot and guided by the Holy Spirit, the first uh, guided missile hit the head, down goes Goliath. Goliath goes down. Amen. I mean, Goliath was brought down by a little David who's anointed by God. So friends, so what is man's power beside God? Power. Don't boast in how strong you are. I mean, if you go around, you see all the ads and in January, you receive phone calls from, your, uh, from, from companies trying to sell you fitness, you know, be strong. You look up the internet, you've got Mr. Universe. You know, uh, my wife will always show me Aaron Kwok's photo at 50 years old. If you don't know who he is, he's, he's trying to score Fu Cheng, right? Uh, come on, you don't know who he is? At 50, he's ripped. He's like, wow, amazing. But friends, this is all, all good. Be healthy, be strong, but don't boast in how strong you are. Amen. And also in Luke chapter 12, the, Jesus told a very interesting parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And he spoke about a person, and this is a real person, who was materially blessed by God. And how, who wants the blessings of the Lord? Of course, we all want to. He was materially blessed by God, and the Bible says his land produced plentifully, which means that his, he was prosperous. But instead of using his increase to further God's will, in his life and through his life, all he was interested in was managing that increase and he was building bigger bonds. He was trying to store up more of his riches. He was, set, he was setting up more bank accounts. Singapore has got DBS. He has got Swiss account. He has got some Russian account. He, has got, he was setting up bank accounts to store his wealth. He was buying more houses because I believe in those days, real estate also is priceless. And so he was buying more stuff to accumulate his wealth. And the Bible tells us in that, in that verse on the screen. But God said to him, Fool! That's a strong word. Last Sunday, Andre says, don't use the word fool. Only God can use it. So fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself but it's not reached towards God. Now, it's okay to lay up treasure on the earth if it's not for yourself. Amen. The Bible says we can be rich, but we are not rich towards God. So wisdom, strength, riches, don't boast in these things. I was reading Forbes magazine, and I read this story of, of a guy named Daniel Seligman. And he says that money is like mart martini. It raises the spirits, but only for a little while. In the same article, he quoted the billionaire Warren Buffett, who says that no, no one really changes his character by becoming super rich. Whatever you were like before is what you'll be like after you get your money. 
and he says this, and I quote, If you were a jerk before, you'll be a bigger jerk with a billion dollars. What does it mean? We live in a world where most people desperately want more wealth, more knowledge. We go through life working, planning, scheming, dreaming to build our net worth, our network, only to say when we reach the top of the world that these are all meaningless. Is that all there is to life? It's a little bit like the 16 years old, the 17 years old who studied his whole life for his old levels. Do you, do, you, do you remember when you walk out from the examination hall and it's, it's the last paper, there's a sense of, is that it? Do you have the feeling? Come on, or is it just me? I've studied my whole life and that's it? Or maybe you get your degree and you know, your parents come and just in, at your graduation, what, what do you call that? Convocation, but there's always this thing about the parent, you know, I don't know what it's called, but they will do this and you will say, is this it? Or like the pastors who's trying to build the biggest church in the world when he gets there, is this it? I tell you, there's a sense of, oh, it's like the football club who was trying to be number one. When they become number one, is this it? Next year, I've got to defend my title. I always love the underdogs. I'm so glad Leicester City, uh, City won. I know you might be an Arsenal fan. You might. I love it when the underdogs surprise the whole world. I just don't like it when I heard that there was some supernatural prayer going on. And I said, can't the church pray for a club that's in Division 3? And you know, let it go with proper chaplaincy. But come on, is this it? Money can't buy happiness. And we learn that death is the great leveler. Right, Job 1.21 says, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Whatever you make, you leave behind. Your fame, your wealth, your achievements, your titles, your conquests, your properties, whatever you make, you leave behind. We leave the world the same way we enter it. Weak, naked, powerless. In between our birth date and our expiry date, we puff ourselves up with wisdom, strength, riches. You might have heard me say this, but the most important part of, you know, on your tombstone is not the day you were born, not the day you pass away. It's the little dash in between. When you look at the little dash, it tells a story. What have you done in the little dash? Is it just accumulating more degrees till you have a high fever, I mean, or more money till you don't know where you know, the accounts are? Or are you using the little dash to serve people, to serve the Lord, to make a difference in the world? Amen? See, money is good if you use it righteously. Power is good if you use it for good purpose. Wisdom is good if it, makes, if it doesn't make us feel superior to others. See, but none of this satisfies us because, friends, we were made for something more. Turn to the person next to you and say, we were made for something more. <laughs> Fathers, you're made for something more. You're made for something more. Men, we are made for something more. Church, we're made for something more. Young people, were made for something more. Amen. Get the studies. Don't please your parents. Just do it for yourself. But we're made for something more. 
And in the heart of every godly parent, I believe our passion is for our kids to know the Lord. One of the, one of the most moving uh, 15 minutes of my life was at one of the youth camps when I think the leaders got Titus to come and pray for me and he was prophesying. And I said to myself, my, was it 12 years old then? My 12 years old son was prophesying. And I was there receiving and all of them were like, ah, <laughs> praying. Amazing. I believe, you know, more than Jason's message, last night, one of the most powerful moments was when dad and mom prayed over Jason. At the end of the day, it's not how popular you are, how well-known you are, how big the church is, how, how, how many people listen to your message, how many downloads you have, how many Instagram likes you have. At the end of the day, friends, is when we can boast about these things. The only pursuit that really matters is found in verse 20, 24. But let the one who boasts, see there is good boasting. Let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. That they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, we can boast. But parents, men, what are you boasting about? Are you showing off your car? Because like in the medieval days, when you show off a horse, that shows how powerful you are. Today is how big the car you, you drive. Is it a show off? The watch you wear, the credit card that you use, these are all status and it's okay if your heart is right. Don't allow the fear of man to stop you. I, I mean, but it's not, we're, we're not to boast in this thing. Somebody say amen. We have to boast in this that we know and understand the law. See, the French philosopher uh, Pascal was right, Pascal, that truly is a God-shaped vacuum in the human heart. And until you know God, you have not even begun to discover the reason for your existence. Regardless of what country you are from, how sophisticated the civilization is, from the Stone Age up till the modern day, the 21st century, in the heart of mankind, they are seeking God. They're looking for God in the tree, God in the stone, God in the sun, God in the gold. They're looking for God. In the heart of man, there's a quest, there's, there's a hunger to know that Creator. Amen? And until you know God, you cannot be satisfied. And people try to fill that God-shaped heart with education, with power, with money, and they realize it doesn't satisfy. And that's why I like what A.W. Tozer said. Our heroes, right, growing up, he wrote this. Next slide, please. I need to read. Do we have it? Yes. Toza. What comes into our, to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. So see, some of us see money as God. Some of us see our body as God. Some of us see our property, our status as God. But who is God to you? See, there's no atheist in the world. You can come to me and say, Daniel, 
I'm an atheist. There's no atheist. We all worship something. If it's not our fame, then it's our fortune. If it's not, then we worship ourselves. Years ago, one of the best sellers in the Christian book market is a book by Richard Foster, and he wrote this book called Money, Sex, and Power. And that's the stumbling block for all men. Come on, men. Female, fame, and fortune. Girls, glory, and gold. No matter how you cut it, that's it. Shillings, I mean, strength, and sex. No matter how you cut it, people worship. The Bible says that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's it. The Bible sums it it up perfectly. That's the pursuit of the heart until the heart knows God. Until that God-shaped vacuum is filled by God. Otherwise, it's always a round peg in trying to go through a square hole. It doesn't fit. And people are always feeling, it doesn't fit. Amen. J.I. Packer, who wrote the book Knowing God, says this, what were we made for to know God? What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the best thing in life? Bring more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. The knowledge of God. I tell you what stirred this message in my heart. It was when Jason preached a couple of weeks ago on the knowledge of God, on the revelation of Jesus. And he reminded me that the most important thing in life, the pursuit of all men, has got to be the knowledge of God. Are we teaching our children the knowledge of God? Are we teaching our young people whether they, it's, not, it's more than just trying to do church better. Now, we want to always excel in everything that, that we do, but is the church knowing God more? Are we experiencing Him in our small group? More than the KFCs. Now, we love KFCs, but, but more than the KFCs, more than the potluck, more than the steam crab. Do we know Him? Do we talk about Him? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And one of my pet peeves is, you know, we, we, we talk about everything else in our small group except Him, God. And, and, and it breaks my heart. This, this is not supposed to be. We talk about the latest fashion. Now, it's okay to be fashionable. Amen. Look at Jason, he's cool. I do it for my Indian friend who's coming. <laughs> but the only pursuit that really matters, my friend, is the knowledge of God. I'm coming to a close really soon, but what is eternal life? We say it's John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave that we may know Him. But what, what, that we may have eternal But what exactly is eternal life? Eternal life is more than just going to heaven. Receiving Jesus isn't an insurance from hell's fire. I think we have to change the way we preach. We're just trying to tell people, be safe from hell. Come on. If you know God, you wouldn't want to go to hell. It's not made for you guys. It's not made for human beings. 
It's not about this, oh, I can go to heaven, a ticket to heaven or insurance from hell. It doesn't, it's not that, friends. John 17.3 defines for us what eternal life is. And John 17.3 says this. Now, this is, this is Jesus in His high priestly prayer. The only time we, we, ha- we have a peek into the life, uh, the prayer life of Jesus, God in His sovereignty opens up the curtain and allows us to have a glimpse on what Jesus was praying about. Wouldn't you want to know that? And in John 17 verse 3, Jesus was actually praying and defining for us what eternal life is. He says that the disciples, they, not just in the days of the, of the apostles, but today, the disciples, that they may know you, the only true God. This is eternal life. This is what being a believer is all about. Life hasn't start, uh, life doesn't begin at 40 years old. I turned 40 this year, but life doesn't start at 40. Life starts on the foot of Calvary when you encounter the cross of Jesus Christ, when you knew that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that that cross was a bridge to bring us from where we are, where we have got no access to God, where we have got no life whatsoever in in ourselves, and we humbly accept all that God did for us, and we cross over, and that's the beginning of life. The old has passed away, the new has come. You're no longer the sinner saved by grace. Now you are a grace-filled believer, a son and a daughter of the living God. It changes your identity altogether. Amen. Hallelujah. My life started at 15 years old. I was a baby. I wasn't perfect then. I did a lot of wrong things, but that doesn't make me a sinner. My check, yeah, that, we rehearsed this. I was supposed to say that three times. That makes me a growing Christian. <laughs> this is eternal life. Thank you, Josh. Josh. Mike got me the mic, but Josh (laughs) gave me a voice. (laughs) Aren't you glad and thankful for volunteers? I mean, it's amazing. If if there's no one on the sound booth, you can't even hear, hear, hear me speak. It's not the person in the front. It's all of us. Amen. So, coming back. In fact, you and I were made to know God. Jeremiah 24 verse 7 The Bible says, I will give them a heart to know me. It's the Lord giving us us, 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 us. a heart heart to know Him. Hey, come on, give give the sound crew a big hand where they are. Come on. Amen. He has put within each of us a desire to know Him. A desire to know God. It's from Him. It's a gift. I like, I like what Psalm 9 verse 10 says. It says, Those who know your name 
will trust in you. Our knowledge of God should lead to greater faith and obedience. There's a crisis of faith in the church today because believers don't know God. The reason why we're fearful, we don't dare to do great exploits for the, the Lord, is because believers don't know God. The reason why we're stuck to our seat and we're not launched out to make a difference in our world is because believers don't know God. And we thought that knowing God means that we sit through a service far from it. The Bible says those who know their God shall be strong and they shall do great exploits. If you truly know God, you have faith for the impossible. If you truly know God, you will, you will be stepping out from the boat and start walking on water. If you truly know Him, but there's a crisis of adventure and crisis of faith in the church because we don't know Him. Now, we might know about Him. Many Christians know about God, but they don't know God. I know about Lee Kuan Yew. I know a lot about Lee Kuan Yew. I'm a fan. I read his books, his biography, his, uh, his uh, principles, his, the way he governs. I know that you know, he was the one responsible for, for greening Singapore. He was the one who basically you know, built Changi Airport. He was his, it was all his vision. I know a lot about Lee Kuan Yew, but I've never met him. I don't know him. And, and as Christians, we can know about God, but we, we, we don't really know Him, know God. To know God means to be intimately acquainted with Him, and that requires time and diligence. Church, this is what knowing God is. It's giving ourselves time to know His ways, to read in His Word, but more than that, to meet Him. Come on, I, I want to talk about this, that you can read the Bible to find fault with Christians. Many people do that. In fact, some of them read the Bible more than we do because they're trying to find the discrepancies and the fault of, of, about our faith, but they don't. But they aren't reading the, the Scriptures to meet God. Amen. Come on. Some of us listen to Hillsong music you know, and Young and Free for the nice-sounding melody. Sounds great. But they aren't listening to this music to meet God. I, you, you know what I'm saying? There's a huge difference. You have to get this. That it is not just listening to the music, oh, I, I know about God. I, you know, it's, not, it's to meet God in the Scriptures, to meet God in the community, to meet God in the worship music, to meet God. That's the reason why we are here. Not to have lunch with our friends after service. To meet Him. Do you meet Him in the Word? Do you meet Him in, in the worship? When you walk into this place, God, I want to meet you. God is waiting to meet you. He has been here. Even before there was any soul in this place, God's here. He can't wait to meet you. That's why I want to be on time when the church service starts. Because God's been waiting. He's the earliest. He leaves the latest. He makes sure that the last person who locks the door gets ministered to. That's God. Come on, church. And the Bible, and the Bible goes on to say in Jeremiah chapter 9, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in this I delight. See, this is the privilege God gave us. Not just to know Him, but to know His character. To know His nature. Amen? The Bible says Israel saw the acts of God, but Moses knew His ways. Psalm 103 verse 7, Israel knew His ways. I love miracles. I love signs and wonders. I love testimonies. 
I love to see God move and people uh, on the floor, bodies lying everywhere. Now, that's wonderful. But these are the acts of God. We can know God in His acts, yes. But more than that, deeper than that, do we know His ways? Do we know that He is kind? Do we know that He is just? Do we know that He is righteous? Do we know Him? He is not wrathful. His wrath has been satisfied by His own Son. He is not angry. His anger is towards sin, but not towards people. He is not impatient. He's nothing like you and I. And we know His character. There is kindness in this passage, which means God's commitment to be gracious to His children. And we read about justice, which is God's commitment to treating people without partiality. It's the same. To non-believers, to believers, it's the same. Exactly, Noah. <laughs> there is righteousness, which means God's commitment to truth. Kindness, justice, righteousness. And this is how we know that we know God. When we share those same commitments, come on. If I know God, I'll share the same commitment to be kind. Love is patient, love is kind. I, you know, love is patient. To, to share the same commitment to be just. To share the same commitment to be righteous. That's when I know Him. Amen. When you know God, you will not only know Him, you will start to act like Him. Amen. The countless people have said to me, Titus looks exactly like you. He acts like you. And in my mind, I didn't say it to, to the friends, but in my mind, I said to myself, that's Titus' problem, not mine. <laughs> but really, there is nothing wrong. It never surprises me when someone says that my son looks like me or acts like me. They're supposed to. They've hung out with me. They've been living around me. They start looking like me. Next week, he may perm his hair. So, but that's not... <laughs> I'm just kidding. But at, but at the end of the day, right, we, we, we must help them discover their own uniqueness. I'm not trying to produce, to produce a clone out of my son. I'm not trying to make him a preacher of the word. He himself started studying and he wanted to speak. You know, he was leading his own. I didn't ask him to start the cell group in the school. You know, he was just, he's just becoming like the father. He says, I want to be a networker like you, dad. And I, and I said, just be yourself. Mary Beth, I'm trying to discover her talent. She's, she's highly create, very creative, super creative. She lives in a world that is like, like me, futuristic. As far as she's concerned, exams are all over. She's now in the US. She's famous. She's happily married to a suave, good-looking, preferably American boy. It's exactly like me. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, my kids have all grown up. I'm still healthy and fit. I'm traveling around the world with my wife. I'll be in a, you know, I'll be driving a car from Singapore all the way to London. And, and you hear me talk freely about my dreams. Like my daughter. Like daughter, like father. Like son, like father. Like father, like son. Melody looks like me. Smart. 
intelligent, intuitive. So what's my point? If my point is, you know, we can now I'm speaking to Father Narayan. If we can, we can either look at how different they are from you. So they always say, Dad, Dad, stop boasting how well we did for PSLE and da 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 da. So I said, No, that's these. These are facts. But I, I was trying to tell them that you. But I was trying to tell them, you can be like your father. But fathers, can I say this to you? Don't try to squeeze your kids into your mold. Allow them you know, to use your life as a launch pad to become who God has called them to be. This is always that tension that parents go through, right? I mean, my wife and, and I will sometimes resign ourselves to Okay, la, they'll never score like you know, me. Or, <laughs> but at the same time, I'll look at them and say, I can never paint like Melody. Where did she get the talent from? I, I can never talk like Titus. I can't write like Titus. You know, I, I can't be as creative. You know, Mary Beth was doing all the craft and she was doing like handstand. I said, I can never do that. You know, and you start, maybe somewhere in my development that was left out. My dad didn't develop me in doing handstand, but it's always in me. You get my point. We help. To, we must find and discover how God wants them to be. Amen. Come on. I'm landing, so I'm just buying time. Praise God. And like father, like son, also applies in the spiritual realm. Amen. God delights when the children look and act like Him. Kindness, justice, righteousness are the birthmarks of the family of God. It has to be on you. When, you know, when, when someone roll up your sleeve or have a look at your backside, you know, they will see the birthmarks, kindness, justice, somewhere in the head. I mean, it's on you. It's imprinted in you. By this, you know that you know God. Amen. That you are grown in kindness. You have a sense of justice. When you look at injustice on the earth, you, have to, you must feel like, ah, I'm angry like God does. When you see people being taken advantage, you must feel the way God feels. That's what the Bible says. That because Jesus loves righteousness and hates wickedness, that's why God has highly anointed him and, and, and God has anointed him with the oil of joy and so forth. Friends, those of us who know God will love what God loves and will hate what God hates. There's a place you know, to hate evil. There's no tolerance for wickedness on the earth because that's the nature of God. We are like Him. So as I sum it up, friends, fathers, the greatest legacy you can leave for your children is the knowledge of God. Church, if we, if we, if we want to really make a difference in this nation, let's pursue the knowledge of God. Jeremiah is telling us that nothing matters in life but knowing God. And until we know Him, we haven't even begun to live. There's nothing to boast about how big the church is, how much money we have in the bank, whether it's corporately, whether it's in your own life. There's nothing, how strong we are. Nothing to boast except to boast in this, that we know Him. And we'll begin to look and act like God and then everyone around us will know that we are the children of God. Last verse as I close, Philippians 3.8. We read this verse from an aging apostle. And we know Paul has seen the acts of God. 
Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul planted countless numbers of churches. His revelations were read by leaders. Paul, who has been to the third heavens, who has, who has been stoned, died, and came back to life. Paul has lived the life. Paul has completely experienced the Christian life. If there's something Paul can boast about, Paul can boast about his lineage. Paul can boast about uh, how much he knew of the Torah. Paul can boast about his learning, his mentor, that he was tutored by Gamaliel, who was then the famed rabbi. Paul can boast in all these things, and yet at the end of his life, he wrote to his favorite church, and he, and he says this, what, what is more, I consider everything a loss. That's a radical statement. I consider the churches I planted, the books I've written, the encounters I had, the third heaven visitation, I consider all these things as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul has got one pursuit. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know Him more. And that means I want to know who He is, who he is how He's like. I want to become more like Him. I want to act like Him. I want to walk like Him. I want to talk like Him. I want to love like Him. I want to behave like Him. I want to hate the things that He hates. I want to love the things that He loves. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And He says, for whose sake I've lost all things and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Fathers, I want to sow that vision into your life. At the end of your life, can you say these words to your friends, your family, your loved ones, your great-grandchildren? I said that by faith, I believe I'll see my great-grandkids. Will you say that the primary passion of my life is to know Him and in knowing Him, to make Him known. Amen. Amen. Fathers, what are you leaving behind? What legacy? Church, what are we leaving behind? To reproduce ourselves into our children, natural, spiritual. This is what we're about, church. This is, the, this is us. Let's all stand. Fathers who know God. A church that knows God. See, that's what the prophetic ministry does. That's what the prophet does. You know, he gave a word in season and God speaks and stirring starts happening. And this is how the body of Christ must work together. Amen. Andre coming to unpack what loving God looks like, you know, what first love looks like. See, this is, this is a team working together. It's not about Daniel or Andre or Jason or any friends. God has spoken to us in the last few Sundays that the greatest thing is knowing Him. If you have left your first love, start doing the first works so that we can be restored to the place of knowing God. Amen. So let's sing a song and we'll pray.